0: Chapter fifteen of Curly Carson Listens in by Roy J Snell This Librebox recording is in the public domain recording by Tom Penn Chapter fifteen SOS The spot of light which raced across the waters of the sea where no land was to be seen, where the black surface of the swiftly changing waters shone always beneath the occupants of the seaplane, took on an ever widening circle. There appeared to be no end to Alfred Brightwood's belief that somewhere in the midst of all this waste of waters there was an island. Vincent Ardmore had long since given up hope of becoming rich by this mad adventure. His only hope, the one that gave strength to his arms benumbed by long clinging to the flashlight, and new sight to his eyes, weary with watching, was that they might discover some bit of land, a coral island perhaps, or they might find refuge from the sea until a craft, called to their aid, might rescue them. The thought of returning to the mainland he had all but abandoned. The gas in the tank was too low for that. At least he was quite certain it must be. There was a chance, of course, that if they alighted upon the water and sent out an SOS, the international call for aid, they would be answered by some nearby ship. But this seemed only a remote possibility he dared not hope it would happen they were far from any regular course of transatlantic vessels and too far from shore to be picked up by a coast vessel or a fishing-smack the very fact that this island marked so plainly on the ancient map had been in this particular spot so remote from the main sea-roads had strengthened their belief that during all the centuries of travel it had been lost from man's memory and hidden from his view now this very isolation since they were unable to locate this island if indeed it existed at all threatened to be their undoing still they circled and circled with great untiring sweeps at last releasing the searchlight vincent put his lips to a speaking tube that's light he grumbled i'm dead what's the use what else can we do but keep looking alfred answered Take a look at the gas. Maybe it will carry us back. Even as he spoke, a strange thing happened. The air appeared suddenly to have dropped from beneath the plane. Straight down for fifty feet, she dropped. With the utmost difficulty, Alfred succeeded in preventing her from taking a nosedive into the sea. She... she bumped, he managed to pant at last. Something the matter with the air and indeed there was something about the atmospheric conditions which they had not sensed busy as they had been they had not seen the black bank of clouds to the northeast of them with the wild rush of air from sheer speed they had not felt the increasing strength of the gale once vincent had fancied that the sea far beneath them seemed disturbed but so far beneath them was it that he could not tell Now, in surprise and consternation, as if to steady his reeling brain, he gripped the fuselage beside him while he shrilled into the tube. "'Look! Look over there! Lightning!' "'Watch out! I'm going down,' warned the other boy. "'Going to light!' To do this was no easy task. Three times they swooped low, to skim along just over the crest of the waves, only to tilt upward again. "'Looks bad!' Rumbled the young pilot the fourth time he dared it with the spray spattering his goggles he sent the plane right into the midst of it for a second it seemed that nothing could save them that the wave they had nose-dived into would throw their plane end for end and land her on her back with the two occupants hopeless prisoners trapped head down to drown beneath her But at last the powerful motors conquered and, tossed by their ever-increasing swells, the plane rode the sea like the stormy petrel after which she had been named. "'Quick!' exclaimed Alfred, as the motors ceased to throb. "'Strip off your harness and get back to the tank!' A moment later Vincent was making a perilous journey to the gas tank. Twice the wind all but swept him into the sea. Once a wave drenched him with its chilling waters." When at last he reached his destination, it was only to utter a groan. More gas had been used than he had dared think. Can't, can't make it, he mumbled as he struggled back to his place. I have to send out an SOS, then. What wavelength do you use? You ought to know, exclaimed Vincent almost savagely. You were the one who insisted on using it when we were making up our plans. Six hundred? Six hundred? Oh, yes, Alfred said indifferently. Well, what of it? Just this much of it, said Vincent thoughtfully. I've been going over and over it in my mind the last little while. What if we send out our s o s now and some selfish landlubber such as we were is talking about matters of little importance and muddles our message? We might be left to drown. Oh, can that sob stuff grumbled Alfred angrily. "'Are you going to send that S.O.S. or am I?' "'I will,' said Vincent, preparing to climb to a position on the plane above him where the radiophone was located. "'But,' he suddenly began to sway dizzily, "'but where are we?' He sank back into his seat. For a full minute, with the waves tossing the plane about and the black clouds mounting higher and higher, the two boys stared at one another in silence. "'Yes, where were they?' who could tell they were not trained mariners they could not have taken a reckoning even if they had been in possession of the needed instruments why said alfred hesitatingly we must be somewhere near that spot where the island was supposed to be located that's as near as we can come to it send out that latitude and longitude then we'll climb back into the air we'll be safer there than on the water "'and we can keep the searchlight shooting out flashes in all directions. "'A ship coming to our aid will see the light.' "'If they come,' Vincent whispered. "'Hurry!' exclaimed Alfred, as a giant wave, rising above its mates, threatened to tear their plane into shreds. With benumbed and trembling fingers, the boy unwrapped his instruments, adjusted a coil, twisted a knob, and threw in his switch.' then his heart stood still the motor did not start had it been dampened and short-circuited would it refuse to go were they already lost just as he was giving up in despair there came a humming sound and a moment later the well-known signal of distress had been flashed out across the waves three times he repeated it three times in a few sharp words he told their general location and their plight then with wildly beating heart he pressed the receiver to his ear and awaited a reply a moment passed two three four but there came no answering call only the buzz and snap of the ever-increasing static greeted his straining ears once more he sent out the message again he listened still no response come on came from the boy below It's getting dangerous. You can get a message off in the air. Gotta get out of here. Gotta climb. May not be able to make it even now. As the other boy glanced down at the white-capped waves all about them, he realized that his companion spoke the truth. Hurriedly rewrapping his instruments, all but the receivers, which, by the aid of an extension, he brought down with him, he made his way to his seat and strapped on his harness. All right, he breathed. Once more the motors thundered. For a long distance they raced through the blinding spray. Little by little this diminished until, with a swoop like a seagull, the magnificent plane shot upward. The next instant they felt a dash of cold rain upon their cheeks. Was the storm upon them, or was this merely a warning dash which had reached them far in advance of the deluge? For the moment they could not tell. End of chapter 15.